In, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Dear friends in Christ, is it okay to celebrate birthdays? Years ago, musicians produced a hit song in which a woman sang about how she did not enjoy a birthday celebration of hers. And maybe you know from personal experience or you've heard of others who have had birthdays and it was on that day the worst time of their life. For many of you, maybe you'd rather not think about it on the day that you remember growing a year older. But the question is, what does God think about birthdays? Does he condemn birthday parties or is he in favor of them? Certain quasi-religious groups will tell you that God condemns birthday celebrations and they point to examples in the Bible. There are very few of them, but they're usually negative. It's usually a pagan ruler or a drunkard like Herod who on his birthday ended up making a horrible decision. But those non-Christian religious groups forget that you need more than a few bad examples in order to say that God condemns something. You have to have a specific command phrase from God in the Bible that says, thou shalt not have birthdays. Otherwise, we would be adding falsehood onto God's word if we would condemn something that the Lord does not directly do. No, just the opposite. God throughout his word talks about the birth of a baby as something to be celebrated, as a great gift from the Lord. And what better way to do that than remember it on the day that it happened every year afterward. Now, if Jesus is okay with celebrating birthdays, then he would be even much more in favor of celebrating your rebirth day. How often do you do that? Have you ever taken the time or done the research to find out what day on the calendar were you baptized? From my own family, I know of a couple different ways that people commemorate their rebirth day. A mother calls her son. Uh, one family lights a special candle and has a different kind of devotion than normal at supper time. You might get a cake or buy donuts to celebrate your rebirth day. And this is something that Jesus talked about with Nicodemus in our gospel this morning. It fits for Trinity Sunday because you have Jesus talking about God and his son, that God is a family within himself. But Jesus also talks about the families we have on this earth. And he talks about being born of the flesh. And that can't really produce anything other than weak, mortal, dying flesh. So Nicodemus already knew how babies are born in the normal way. He wanted to know how can you be born from above? How is your soul born? Jesus answered in John 3, Amen, amen, I tell you, unless someone is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus didn't quite get that, so Jesus went on to explain in verse 5, Amen, amen, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So this birth of your soul has to involve water, water and the Spirit. Do we as Lutherans overhype baptism? If you listened in on any of the Shoreland Chapel sermons or any of the daily prayers this past school year, you would have heard a lot of references to baptism. Probably most of the devotions at least mentioned it once or twice. Some of them had focused on it entirely. Here at Water of Life, you can expect it in well over half the sermons that baptism will be preached into your ears. Now, believers in Jesus from outside of Lutheranism might start to ask, you guys talk about baptism a lot. Are you sure you haven't made it into an idol, into a false god? You, you talk so much about baptism that we already know what you're going to say before it comes out of your mouth sometimes. Well, if sharing your faith has turned into something predictable or boring, like a formula that you always use, then there is a problem. But at the same time, let's take a look at Titus chapter 3. If you want to look at it in your service folder, uh, you could turn to that reading. And one thing you could say to anybody who wonders if we talk about baptism too much is take a look at the chapter before this reading printed in your bulletin. In chapter 2 of Titus, Paul tells this young pastor, keep telling people these things. Continue to encourage and rebuke with full authority. Let no one ignore you. So don't let your testimony of faith become boring or predictable, but at the same time, Paul instructed Titus, you need to repeat certain points of teaching over and over. And in chapter 3, Paul told Titus, one of those points worth repeating is baptism. Verse 5, the second half of it, says, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Notice how that word through pops up twice in this reading. First, in verse 5, it says God saved us through this washing. Then, in verse 6, it says He gave us His Spirit through Jesus Christ our Savior. The point is, Jesus has connected Himself so tightly to this washing of baptism that it's not going too far to say baptism equals Jesus. Think of it. Any professing Christian of all true denominations would say, you need the name Jesus, you need to know about the man Jesus of Nazareth in order to be saved. Well, Jesus himself in today's gospel said that you need water and the Spirit in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. He makes himself equal to baptism. Baptism is Jesus. And he showed us that most obviously when he joined us in the water and got himself baptized in the Jordan River. 
So if you think we talk about baptism too much, maybe ask yourself, is it possible to talk too much about Jesus when you're testifying about your faith? Now someone could argue, I believe in Jesus as my Savior. I trust in the Trinity. I know about salvation by grace, not works. And I accept all of that. But are you sure that Paul is talking about baptism in this Titus chapter 3 reading? Because he never directly says it, does he? He talks about a washing, but couldn't God have meant there a washing of your mind? Couldn't this be a washing in a figurative sense in the way that the Holy Spirit overwhelms your soul with faith or converts your heart. It's true, Paul never does explicitly call this washing baptism, at least not right up front. But let's take a look at other examples of this word washing from the New Testament. The last time that I preached for you, you heard us discuss a woman named Tabitha who died. And in Acts chapter 9, it says that they washed her body for her funeral. Luke used the same word that Paul does here. Later in Acts 16, after Paul and Silas had received a beating, it says that the jailer of Philippi washed their wounds. And Luke again uses this word for washing. Our Lord Jesus on the night before he died, got a bowl full of water, wrapped a towel around his waist, and started doing something with his disciples' feet. That is the same word for washing we find here in Titus 3. So if you read this letter for the first time as a Greek-speaking Christian, you would not think of any kind of figurative or metaphorical washing. You would think of literal water touching a person's physical human body. And that's what happens in baptism. Yes, it does give you a spiritual cleansing, but not without the water that touches your skin from the outside. Most of you may already know and agree with all of this. And still you might wonder, why are you making such a big deal out of baptism this morning? Why should I care about it today? Take a look at the first verse of today's epistle and you'll see just how much baptism has done for us based on how bad off we were. For at one time, we ourselves were also foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by many kinds of evil desires and pleasures, living in malice and jealousy, being hated and hating one another. All those sound way too familiar for us even after the Holy Spirit has given you faith in Christ, don't they? Just look at the line about enslaved by many kinds of evil desires and pleasures. We immediately jump to those bodily desires and pleasures and point the finger at people guilty of drug abuse or drunkenness or illicit sex. But there are plenty of evil pleasures and desires that happen in a mental way for us. Addiction to someone giving you a compliment or gossip. Addiction or obsession with sports and gaming and internet updates. For me personally, that 
line about being hated packs a strong punch. Because it tells me that it's not okay for me to be an unlikable person. It's not from the Holy Spirit if I am in the regular habit of letting everybody know what a bad mood I'm in. It is not God-pleasing for me to have a sense of humor that only knows how to joke by teasing or pointing out flaws in other people. That is a line that accuses and convicts me, and maybe it does for you too. Even if your inner evil doesn't show itself, you at least know how it feels to be attacked by the devil from the outside world. Maybe you are embarrassed by someone else's bad marriage, or you broke a foot, maybe your mom had a concussion, or you're, you know of a child who is hurting and you don't know how to help. Maybe things are actually going smoothly for once and it has you worried about the next major disaster that will strike. For all of these and countless other problems, how does God solve them? Does he say, well, ha, got what you deserved? No. Does he say, tough it out like a good soldier? No. Does he say, you clean up your half of the life and I will fix the rest of your problems? No. He says, I will solve all of your problems and take away all of your guilt. I'll do it by pouring my whole self into you. And I won't just do it bit by bit, a little drop by a little drop. I won't just do it for fractions of your life. I will pour my whole self into you abundantly. Verse 6 promised us the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That phrase poured out reminds you once again of liquid, fluid, flowing water. God does not just zap you with the Holy Spirit out of nowhere. He uses a tool. He uses means to give you his Holy Spirit. He talks about giving that to you through Jesus our Savior. In other words, anytime you soak up the details of Jesus' earthly life and his saving work, anytime you find out more facts about him, you are soaking up the Holy Spirit. One of those facts is that there was no man on earth named Jesus of Nazareth. And then there was. And this planet has not been the same ever since he appeared. Another of those facts is that he himself got baptized. And another of those facts is that he told his apostles to make more disciples by baptizing. The whole Trinity poured itself into you in baptism. So whatever guilt you felt in Paul's accusatory words, whatever troubles I've refreshed in your mind in that statement from a few moments ago, whatever other problems you'll face this week, God has taken care of them by pouring his whole self into you through baptism. In verse 7, his goal is that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs in keeping with the hope of eternal life. 
Not only do you get to inherit a resurrected body like Jesus in a resurrected world in the life to come, but Paul also calls this a washing of renewal. That means even today, Christ has made you into a new person. And that can change your whole outlook and hopes for the future. Amen.